Hello, everyone. I'm John Wainwright, and this is a special edition of the Cap Impact Podcast. Today is part two of three of our series on the California ballot initiatives. You can go back to Wednesday's podcast to look at the four bond measures. Today, we will be looking at the tax and time measures, props five, six, and seven. And for analysis on those, prop five will be from John Knoble and Megan Shiner. Prop six will be Megan Shiner again, as well as Peter Leone. And proposition seven will be Annalisa Thomas and Sarah Steimer. So without further ado, I'm going to kick things over to Megan Shiner, who will begin the analysis on Proposition 5. Hello, everybody. My name is Megan Shiner. Um, We are going to be talking about Prop 5, which is the property tax initiative, um, property tax transfer initiative, sorry. So currently, California collects property taxes from property owners based on the value of your property. Um, and then you pay a tax based on that value. And this tax revenue creates funds for local governments. So currently, the law allows certain eligible homeowners to transfer this property tax base to a new home with certain limitations. And then um, the eligibility requirements are anyone that is a homeowner over the age of 55, uh, an individual with severe disabilities, or their home was destroyed by disaster or contamination, And the limitations on the transfers currently are that it can only be done once in your lifetime. You can only transfer within the same county. There are 10 counties that allow out-of-county transfers, but the counties must have agreements with each other that allow it. And the replacement property must be of equal or lesser value. So Proposition 5 would change the limitations on these transfers. You would still be required to be an eligible homeowner. Proposition 5 would remove the limit on how many times you can transfer. So if you've already moved once, you're over the age of 55, you'd be able to move again. You'd have no limitations on that. You can transfer as many times as you'd like. You would no longer have a limit on where you can transfer, so you can move anywhere within the state of California. And your replacement property could be worth more than the original home value. And I will pass it over to John to talk about the policy considerations. Okay, so because we are allowing people to transfer their tax base an unlimited number of times if they're above 55 and buy more expensive homes, there can be a uh, fiscal impact to the counties who really rely on property taxes for things like schools, fire, police, um, all your basic county services. Now, there are two reports looking at the fiscal effects um, of this proposition, because what fun would it be if there was one and it was it was clear what was actually going to happen. Um, so the first one is done by the Legislative Analyst Office, which is a uh, state agency that analyzes initiatives as well as uh, different bills for the legislature. Now they estimated that they would uh, the ca- uh, the state would start losing about a hundred million dollars in the first year, growing to a billion dollars in um, uh, ten years. Uh, the second report done by BRG. Uh, assumes that there's going to be new construction because of this proposition. So if there is new construction, the counties would end up, uh, or the state would end up getting about $159 million in the first year. And that BRG report only analyzed the uh, first year of the proposition. Now, the difference in that funding comes from the methodology of each study. The LAO uses what we call static scoring, which doesn't look at uh, people as economic actors that uh, who could change because of the proposition. So they're just looking at the dollars and cents, uh, less people, um, 
less property taxes within the county means less funding. Now, the BRG report uses something called dynamic scoring, which assumes that people are economic actors and their behavior is going to change because of this proposition. Specifically, the behavior that's going to change here is that more housing is going to be built because there's a demand for housing now that people are moving more. Um, so it's not necessarily that one is more legitimate um, than the other. It's just that the dynamic scoring um, and I should point out, the dynamic scoring from the BRG report was funded by the California Association of Realtors, who are the ones doing Proposition 5. Now, that's not to say that this report is not credible. Dynamic scoring is used by Congress. Um, the people who run BRG are a former LAO director, as well as a former elected official. And overall, they're fairly credible. So. If you tend to be more fiscally conservative and you're concerned that maybe this isn't going to change people's actions, you might want to look at the LAO report. If you think this could influence people's actions and more housing could be built, you might want to look at the BRG reports. Uh, they're both educated guesses, so it's really up to you to decide what you think is the best way to um, go forward with that. Now, for the proponents of this measure, the California Association of Realtors, they are, um, they are arguing that this is needed because seniors can't afford to move. They've either used their transfer once, they want to go out of the county they're currently within, and they're stuck in inadequate housing because of that. Um, they also say that disabled people are stuck in inadequate housing and they need the ability to move uh, multiple times. Disaster victims are penalized because you have to stay within your same county to keep your tax base, which is fair. If your home just burned down, you might not want to buy a house within the same area again. Um, and then it's going to increase economic activity because of the building, and it's going to open up more housing because people are going to be moving out of their houses, um, downsizing, new families can move into the houses, um, that sort of thing. Now. The opponents are concerned about the fiscal effects. These are the California Teachers Association, the associations of counties, the people who are going to be directly hit by that loss in funding if it occurs. Um, they oppose it because they are going to lose money, and there's going to have to be money pulled from the general fund to support education if the counties lose money because of something called Proposition 98 that essentially guarantees a certain level of funding for the counties. Um, they specifically note that about 20% of county budgets are based on property taxes, so any major change could have um, pretty drastic effects county to county. They also argue that um, because you're allowed to transfer 55 and above, 55 really isn't um, the age for seniors anymore. Uh, people are working longer. I know I'm not retiring any time around 55. Um, but the California Association Realtors argue back that a lot of teachers, uh, firemen, policemen end up getting their pensions around that time. That's when they want to start retiring. So, again, kind of a judgment call on everybody's uh, part to decide if 55 is really a good age to uh, put this property tax transfer at. Um, and with that. And just to conclude, so a yes vote will allow eligible homeowners to transfer their property tax base to any home of any value in any part of the state as many times as they want. And a no vote will keep everything as it is so no changes will occur and the same limitations will stay in place. Okay, still here. Um, <laughs> so now we're on Proposition 6, which is the voter approval for increases in car and gas taxes. So last year, SB1 was passed, which increased California's funding for transportation. It included four new taxes and fees. 
One is a 12% or I'm sorry, whoa, 12 cent increase in gas excise tax, which was effective in November of last year. There is a transportation improvement fee that ranges anywhere from $25 to $175, which went into effect January of this year. There is a 20 cent increase in diesel excise tax, which will go into effect next year. And there is a $100 fee on zero emission vehicle registration, which will go into effect July of 2020. So revenue from these taxes and fees it provides, will provide California $4.4 billion this fiscal year. And the taxes and fees, as you can see since they are implemented at different times, at full, at full implementation, they will produce anywhere from $5.2 to $5.4 billion annually. And two-thirds of that is specifically distributed for maintenance and rehabilitation of local streets and roads, and that is mandated by the California Constitution. So Prop 6 would change these, and it would effectively repeal SB1, eliminating any gas or vehicle tax that was implemented, and it would um, eliminate all of the revenue from those taxes. It would also amend the California Constitution to require voter approval for any new or increased taxes on gas or diesel fuel taxes in the future. Um, so now we'll look at the policy arguments uh, for and against Proposition 6. Uh, the proponents of Proposition 6 who want to repeal the gas tax argue that this will return the California fuel and vehicle taxes to the pre-2017 levels where they were less expensive. If you haven't noticed the last few months, your gasoline um, prices have kind of gone up quite a bit, um, but it's been going towards these SB1 funding, funded um, road improvements and things like that. The proponents also um, argue that this tax actually affects the middle and lower class the most, as um, middle and low class people tend to have to drive to their job every day and there's a majority of the economy that's on the road and they also don't make as much money. These increased um, gasoline costs and fuel tax, I mean, and vehicle taxes cause the most amount of economic harm to these um, groups of people. Um, they also argue that it is also very expensive to live in California as it is. So with these increased taxes, it makes it even more difficult. Um, and they also, a large argument on their side is that um, this proposition changes the Constitution to make all future gas taxes um, be approved by a popular vote after it's passed the legislature, which they think is a very important part of how we take control of the taxes that are levied against us. Um, the opponents of Proposition 6 argue that repealing SB1 through this proposition would cost the state billions of dollars in revenue that could be applied to our crumbling infrastructure. Right now we have tons of roadways and bridges that are in dire need of repair and are, have horrible ratings of safety and um, repealing SB1 would effectively bring all of these projects to a halt. Um, it would get rid of 68,000 jobs that are being produced through these um, infrastructure projects and it could also cancel over 6,500 different transportation projects that are both local and statewide. The opponents of Proposition 6 uh, have a very strong argument that Proposition 6 could um, cause constitutional issues. Uh, the United States Constitution and the California Constitution both have clauses that say that um, no statute can impede, sorry, impair um, the completion of a contract. And so all of these jobs that are being created through these SB1 taxes, um, since they are contracts formed with the state, if SB1 funding is taken away, it could impair these contracts severely and then cause um, 
the state to have to pay for all these contracts on top of canceling the funding that they receive from SB1, and it could create a myriad of problems in the future. So in conclusion, a yes vote on Proposition 6 will eliminate all the taxes and fees that were implemented by SB1, as well as their revenues, and the California legislature would require voter approval to impose any new or increased gas and, and diesel fuel taxes in the future. A no vote on Proposition 6 would keep SB1 taxes and fees in place as well as their revenue, and the revenue would continue going towards projects to improve roadways and highways. Yeah. <laughs> so Proposition 7 um, is the proposition that sets out to conform California Daylight Savings Time to federal law and that it suggests that it would allow legislature, the legislature to change daylight savings time. Um, I'm going to start off by giving you a little background to explain like how this got here. In 1949, California voters passed Proposition 12, um, and that established Pacific Standard Time as the time zone for California. They, after that, passed another initiative changing the dates a little bit. But then in 1966, the U.S. Congress passed the Uniform Time Act, and what that did was actually set nationwide daylight savings time with different dates from those that are in California. So under the current law in California that's, on, that's written in the government code section, it says that daylight saving time ends the last Sunday in September, whereas under federal law, which is the law that we are actually under because of the Uniform Time Act and because Congress passed it, um, it's actually the first Sunday in November. So we have on the books different um, different dates from what the federal government set, but that doesn't change the fact that we still follow the federal government's laws. So a thing to notice about this is this is actually a legislative initiative, unlike a lot of, or I think all the other initiatives that we're talking about. This doesn't come from people going out and collecting signatures. This comes from the legislature. Um, they passed the bill, and it was signed by the governor, and then it, that's how this got on the ballot. And the reason they're doing that is because the California Constitution requires that, since this was originally an initiative, the only way to appeal or amend it is to pass another initiative that the voters get to approve. So with that, I'm gonna let Sarah talk about what the proposed law would do. So first, it's important to note that Proposition 7 does not change daylight savings time in California to be year-round. Um, this may confuse voters because um, both the proponents and the opponents focus their arguments on the benefits and disadvantage or the disadvantages of year-round daylight savings time. Uh, the proponent and proponents and opponents' arguments are framed around Section 1 of the proposition, uh, but they don't address what Section 1 or the other sections of the proposition actually do. Um, so Section 1 of um, Proposition 7 gives the legislature the ability to further research and consider the effects of year-round daylight saving time in California. Um, it's possible that the legislature will use that uh, will use this vote to say that the majority of Californians uh, will want to go to year-round daylight saving time uh, during their future research and consideration, which may be why the proponents and the opponents are focusing on this argument. Um, Section 2 of the, of the Proposition 7 actually implements these changes um, that are, or three changes, excuse me, that are required by the voter initiative process um, to repeal it. So the first change repeals the parts of the Daylight Saving Time Act um, that have 
that require the voter initiative um, to happen in the future. Uh, the second update is that the language of the current California Daylight Saving Time uh, Act will be updated to match the Uniform Time Act. So we'll no longer have this discrepancy between the dates in the California law and the Uniform Time Act, um, which, is better, which is best practice to have those statutes match. Uh, the third change is that it gives the legislature the ability to petition Congress for California to go on year-round daylight saving time uh, in the future. And the legislature is only going to be able to petition Congress to do this um, if they have a two-third vote from the legislature, which again, this kind of goes into why uh, or might be why the legis uh, excuse me, why the proponents and the opponents are focusing on this year-round daylight saving time uh, benefits and disadvantages so much. So to move into what the pro proponents and the opponents uh, argue, the proponents, uh, as stated before, focus their arguments on the benefit of year-round daylight saving time. Uh, the benefits they focus on are public health and energy saving. Uh, the proponents cite a number of studies that show there's an increased chance in heart attack, at-work injuries, um, and other public health risks on the Monday after the time spring forwards um, at the start of daylight saving time. Uh, the proponents also state that there'll be energy savings because there'll be a decrease in electricity use and fuel consumption. Uh, however, a study that was cited in the legislative history um, uh, said that there was not an increase in energy savings uh, when they did a study in Indiana. So it's unclear how the proponents actually calculated the estimated energy savings, um, though it might vary throughout the diverse regions of California. Uh, there are other public policy considerations that uh, the proponents did not address. Uh, the first is, like I said, it's best practice for the state law to match the federal law, um, since we have to follow the federal law anyway. Um, and second, the voters no longer have the ability to change daylight saving or any time laws in California because of the Uniform Time Act. So repealing the voter initiative um, will enable the legislature to update California law if there are any future changes to the Uniform Time Act, Time Act by Congress. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Anna. Okay, so um, what you can see up there is the current map of the United States with the time zones that we have. Uh, the opponents make a number of arguments. Um, I think the most powerful one is that if we were to Eventually, if the legislature were to decide to put us on year-round daylight saving time, we would be out of sync with the rest of the country. Um, and that's a pretty strong argument because if you look, you know, you know when the East Coast is three hours ahead and they would have to, for example, you know, if you were writing contracts, they would have to change, you'd have to be aware of the fact that sometimes California is now two hours, um, you know, different and sometimes it's three, and you have to keep that in mind, and that's one of the best arguments. And we'd also be no longer, you know, on the West Coast time with our neighbors in Oregon and Washington. Instead, we'd actually be in the exact same time as Arizona because they do year-round standard time. So that is an interesting thing. Additionally, um, the opponents argue that uh, it'll be dark in the morning in winter, um, in late, <laughs> more so than it is now, right? So with daylight saving time, it is gonna be light, late December, you know, Christmas morning at 7 a.m. And if we were to do away with it, it wouldn't be light until 8 a.m., which means that school, school children will be waiting for, you know, the bus and the cold. People will be driving to work when it's dark as opposed to, I mean, people still probably be driving to work in the dark, but um, 
the, that actually leads to the next argument, which is that it would increase accidents because more people would be commuting in the dark. Uh, finally, they point to the fact that like in 1973, this was tried during the energy crisis and it was so unpopular that it didn't even survive the term that they had said. They tried to do 16 months and instead after 10 months, people were like, we don't like this. So. So a yes vote for Proposition 7 would repeal the voter initiative aspect of the Daylight Saving Time Act. It would allow the legislature to update the language of the current uh, of the current law to match the federal law, and it will allow the legislature, or, yeah, the legislature to um, do further research and consider moving to year-round daylight saving time with the permission of Congress. And a no vote would mean that nothing would change because we still have to follow federal law, <laughs> and. Um, the existing language would remain incorrect in the government code, and the, the legislature could not change to daylight savings time without future voter approval. Okay, um, on to taxes and time, and while some of the questions are still coming down, I have to apologize for my slide in which I misspelled Megan's name. So it does have an H, and I know she has family here, so I apologize to them. <laughs> uh, it's correct in the printed volumes, okay. Um, a lot of the questions that I have received thus far, I would uh, put into the category of statements. And <laughs> so maybe there are some questions here. Well, this one at least has a question mark. Okay. Um, so I actually thought what I, what I might do is, because I do think that there is value to hearing other people's thoughts and ideas about this. So I thought I might spur some discussion by uh, reading a few of the statements, and then maybe the students, maybe if we can find one that's really a factual question in here, we can get to that. Actually, there is one Prop 5 factual question. It asks, what about special assessments, property taxes, Mela Ruse, for example, are these excluded? And I'm pretty sure the answer to that is that, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so every property tax levy is the uh, state 1%, which is what the uh, property tax measure is specifically dealing with. It also has any bonds that uh, local counties have passed uh, that can get added to that, as well as special districts. Um, so I do not believe it would be affecting the special district property taxes. Yeah, that's my understanding. Okay, good. So um, let me read some of the other Prop 5 ones, and we'll end with one that's kind of a question. So one statement is, uh, most people over 55 tend to move from congested areas to more rural areas. This would place an undue burden on rural counties' infrastructure and public safety providers due to lower tax base and higher population. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, one uh, is if seniors move out of a home and then new owners should pay more property taxes, how realistic is it that seniors would buy more expensive homes when they can't afford to move out of their current home because of taxes? Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the question assumes that, that seniors are strapped, um, but some are not, right? So... Uh, the, and this one relates to that. Why not limit to $1 million and lower cost homes? So that's kind of a retort to the last one of they're strapped for cash, right? So this doesn't limit it. It doesn't matter if we're talking about wealthy seniors. And again, as John, I think, pointed out, 
55, you know, is the new 35. So um, really anyone over 55 can, can buy a home as expensive as they want and get the benefit of the tax base. And then uh, the final uh, Proposition 5, I think, statement, isn't Prop 5 a $1 billion giveaway for 85,000 people who might be millionaires? Doesn't it blow holes in an unpredictable manner in county and local budgets for schools, police, fire, public works, etc.? Think about it. Okay. Um, all right. I think that's Prop 5. Uh, any other comments on that? No? Anybody? Okay, good. So, did, are we missing somebody? Oh, you're all, you're a double. Okay. Okay. Um, so, we have a lot of questions on Prop 6 involving um, how the gas taxes have been spent in the past? Are they really used for what they're saying they're used for? Um, questions about whether we're allocating the gas taxes in the way that we're supposed to be. And I think that is a, a question, it comes up again and again, is funding from SB1 designated only for road and bridge repair? So I'm gonna let you guys uh, talk to a little bit about that, okay? Um, so I cannot speak to how the taxes have been spent in the past. That was not anything that we found during our research. But the revenue that comes from the taxes and fees from SB1, two-thirds of that is going to be used for rehabilitation and maintenance of roads and highways, and that is mandated by the California Constitution. So there is a provision in the Constitution that says two-thirds of the revenue from these fees has to be used for those purposes only. What about the other third? The other third goes towards different um, infrastructure projects. It's like for bus lines and for creating of other infrastructure as opposed to just repairing the roads. Yeah. I, I think the other thing to remember is, and some of you may have recalled this, right? We did just actually vote in June um, to further target the ways in which SB1 funds were going to be used. Does anybody remember voting in June? <laughs> it's a long time ago, right? But um, so do you want to speak to Prop 69? Yeah, there, actually there's a question about it. Does Prop 69 apply to all gas and vehicle fees or just the taxes related to Prop 6? So um, according to the research that we did, all the SB1 taxes um, will be stuck in a certain spending kind of structure created by Proposition 69 that we unanimous, well, very strongly voted into action back in June, and it's basically the same that we've been saying before, that the large amount of it is going to go towards local and statewide repair of roads, and then the rest of it goes towards infrastructure in general. Um, we also have a question here about Prop 6. Uh, can you speak to the response to the initiative's title and it, be, it, and it being allegedly misleading? So um, can I take it first? Yeah. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so some of, some of you may have gotten a mailer in the mail that said it was an official ballot correction. Did anybody get that on a white piece of paper? official ballot correction, the title is really um, repeal the gas tax or something to that effect. Um, so that was not an official mailer at all, okay? And if you read the fine print, 
it was not an official mailer. So I just want to speak a little bit about to how um, the process for the titles and the summaries and how they come about. The Attorney General's Office drafts the official ballot title and summaries. They do it before it circulates. They do it again before it goes on the ballot. Um, the students in my class had a guest speaker from the Attorney General's Office who described this process in great detail. The Attorney General's Office is uh, takes a neutral crack at, at telling us what the proposition will do and if there's a problem with it, um, there's an opportunity for it to be challenged in court. And sometimes ballot titles and summaries are challenged as being deceptive or misleading and courts will, uh, will rule on them. There is a great deal of discretion placed in the Attorney General as an independent constitutional officer in the state. And so, um, and, but it is not usually the Attorney General, him or herself, who in the first instance is doing the drafting. It's usually a civil service attorney working in the Department of Justice who, who does the first drafts. So um, as far as uh, I think we are aware, the Proposition 6 title and summary is an accurate description of what this initiative does. And I think that um, there is a lot of, of misinformation going on, including that mailer, which uh, was in fact misleading, said it was an official ballot correction change. Just so everyone knows, that's not how the Secretary of State would do something. Hey, by the way, people change your ballot? No. Um, so uh, so that, that was not real. Okay. Um, any for Proposition 7? Do we have any cards at all for Proposition 7? No? Okay. Nobody is worried about daylight savings time. Um, but the children waiting at the bus stop in the dark. Um, I, I, do want, I do want to really stress one additional point, and Sarah said it, but I just want to underscore it. If proposition passes, then the voters will never be asked again to worry about conforming daylight savings time to the federal law. Let me say that again. It won't come back if we vote yes. Okay, that's all. Um, objective and neutral, objective and neutral. Okay. Thanks again for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts or subscribe to the Cap Impact Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Cap Impact CA on both of those platforms, or you can check out our website, www.capimpactca.com. Thanks for listening to today's show. Talk to you again. <laughs>